0: Well, about uh, three years ago, uh, Pam joined us on one of our Belize teams. I've been a, had a chance to go down a couple times, and that trip put a spark in you. Uh, some people have heard part of that story, but for those who haven't, catch us up to what that spark was, and then what happened in you and what you've done coming back to Cincinnati.
1: Sure. So this will be my fourth year going back in February. A pitch. If you want to go, come with us. Um, so I just fell in love with the Belizeans, and as you could hear in Tim's voice, too, They are wonderful people that need so much and they have so little. So in order for us to do surgeries and go to the village clinics, we need supplies and we need equipment. And John Kirby asked me to visit a medical supply reuse organization in Louisville, Supplies Overseas, to see how do they collect supplies from hospitals and how do we get them. Well, I came back to TriHealth, where I work, which is Bethesda and Good Sam, and learned that while we make donations, there was no real um, organized effort. So we have about 11,000 employees in lots of places. I asked four other people that I know, that's four. They wanted to help, and they had some influence. So since then, we've created a process to donate our equipment that's cycling out. We cannot use it anymore, but it's usable. Or supplies that we open a partial pack, and we use part of it, but not all. The part that we don't use, we would throw into the garbage. We went to our hospital administrators and we created bins on each of the nursing units so nurses could put unused supplies in that bin instead of throwing it away. We created a process to collect our equipment that we're cycling out. We also worked with a vendor, um, Owens and Minor, to backhaul when we have pallets full of unused supplies and equipment to take it back to Louisville for us. They were very willing to do that. So when we first started in 2013, we donated around 13,000 um, pounds of supplies and equipment. I think that's really impressive.
0: 13,000 pounds? Yeah. yeah. Wow,
1: okay. And I just checked this week, because I knew Chad asked me to share with you where we are today, and year-to-date in 2014, we have donated over 75,000 pounds this year. Wow. To supplies overseas. Wow, that's
0: amazing. Mm-hmm. A-
1: mm-hmm.
0: And I love that idea that you had this influence and... Um, you had this uh, resource around you, but you wouldn't have thought about it until you saw a need and said, wow, wow. how might God want to use what I regularly do? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you've got all these employees. It's all volunteer, right? It's all volunteers. Volunteer do it's it. all
1: volunteer. So tell
0: me how it's been uh, influencing the hospital and that culture.
1: Well, it's terrific because we knew it was important to create a process that was sustainable. You know, those folks out in the nursing units, they don't know who Pam Shannon is, or they don't know how it started. But I've heard all kinds of stories about, like, thank God. Thank goodness. We have a way to do something instead of throwing these supplies away. And we do do stories at meetings, and we show them pictures of how, you know, you opened a pack of, of surgical supplies, and we might have thrown away some of it, but we can reuse them in a, in a clean way or a sterile way so they feel so good. They work for a mission-driven organization, but now here in Cincinnati on a nursing unit, they can do something that will help a child or a person in another part of the world. It makes them feel really good.
0: And you told me that uh, when you got baptized, so you you had this trip, you began to get the idea of the message of Jesus became more real to you, you got baptized, and there's a specific verse in Hebrews that was talked about persevering and continuing to think more and more how you can put God on display that kept you saying, well, what's next? Right. And so what was
1: next? Right. Well, what was next? Well, I love that one uh, verse that, you know, I, I might not say it perfectly, but it's let us run with perseverance, the race that before us. And it's that P word, that perseverance word. So last year, I got to know more of the physicians in Belize, and I know there's not very many of them or nurses, but they don't have access to good ongoing education. So I have a very dear friend here um, that Dan Ansel, that created a company, Private Health News and Bed News Plus, and his business is creating websites for doctors and nurses to get education. And I approached him, and I said, "You know, would you create a website in Belize that the doctors and nurses could use?" He said, "Well, okay." So we have been emailing back and forth with Dr. Melanie Granger and Corozal, and we're about to release a website that the doctors and nurses in Belize can use. So Dan, using his thoughts and his company, sharing with the folks in Belize.
0: Yeah, and, and if you go to the site, it looks like the Belizeans have done it. it looks it's like actually the because of a yeah. vision and a dream that was born in yeah. you from that trip. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's just asking, but asking again and again, Yeah, you no, know, and nudging a little bit.
0: Sure. Great. Can we thank Pam for her story and how God's been using her? Thank you, Pam. I appreciate it. You know, what I love about that story is that, like with every motor, you need a spark. you need that spark plug to fire, because when it fires, the motors and the pistons begin to move. And often that's how God works. The spark of innovation, the spark of entrepreneurship, the spark of liberty, the spark of productivity and generosity begins to get us thinking in ways that our life be part of a grander story. That certainly was true of uh, Madame C. J. Walker, now, if you know her story, had a very tough childhood. She uh, grew up uh, as a child of some sharecroppers. She was orphaned when she was six. Had a very difficult childhood uh, during the early years of the United States. She married. She lost her husband to a lynch mob, racism, horrible thing. And yet instead of choosing bitterness, instead of choosing anger, she found Christ, the story of Jesus, to be her forgiver and she learned how to love her enemies. And more than that, she learned how to be part of putting God on display in life. So what she did is she began to, while she was working, she was free. She wasn't a slave. It was in the 1700s. She began to go house to house. And she invented this brand new type of hair treatment called the walker system. It was a hair ointment system. And then also she found the brushes that were used weren't quite wide enough for the coarser hair of her African-American friends. So she got a, a wider brush. She began to sell this. It was selling like hotcakes. She went down to the south, she sold it, down to the east, she began to build businesses. As she built businesses, it began to take off. All of a sudden, she was employing people. She became the first ever self-made millionaire in uh, the United States history as an African-American. And the business continued to grow, and as a follower of Christ, the spark in her that she could develop things, inspire people, she began to put a training school in place to train beauticians, and all of a sudden she taught them how to be involved in the community, how to use their money to impact their cities and the world. She moved her headquarters to, I think it was Indianapolis of all places. In 1705, I believe, the company was up to $500,000 a year, and she began to Teach people how to be generous to the poor, to the needy, to the hurting, to reach out those who'd been abused or orphaned like she had, all because God put a spark in her years earlier that impacted the world. When I thought about her story, which I came across recently. I thought if God had not put a spark in her, she wouldn't have had the impact in them. And at Horizon, we are really passionate about helping them. What happens to the poor, to the needy, to the sick, to the bleeding, is very important to us. But we know that what happens in you is just as important as what happens in them. So the reason we take folks on trips is because we know that if you go on a trip, you're going to go down you're going to help folks. If you take a blue bag and start packing it, you're going to help some people here locally. If you pack a shoebox, you're going to help people. What happens to them is important. But even more so, something's going to happen in you. And when that spark happens in you, the pistons start to move and you start saying, how do I begin to live a life of service? And all of a sudden, what happens in you is going to begin to transform more and more people. And so that's the principle we want to look at today. That what happens in you is just as important as what happens to them. I'm going to put that up on the slide. You know, in his book, Tipping Point, it says, Gladwell says that only 3 to 15 percent of a family, an organization, or a society are required to make significant change. Think about how hard it is to make change. Only 3 to 15 percent of a department, of a family, or an organization can change to begin to move that organization in a new direction. One of the reasons our vision as a church is challenging leaders to change the world is because if each one of us allowed God to put a spark in us, a little more compassion, a little more service, a little more others-mindedness, and we began to, like Pam did, began to say, well, what do I have influence over? What, What networks and spheres do I have, and how might I use them for a greater good? What might God do in the world as he puts a spark in each one of us? So today we're going to look at a convinced Greek businessman, an unconvinced Ethiopian CFO, and we're going to look at an affluent African queen. Sounds like a sort of a joke, doesn't it? So let's begin with this, uh, this convinced, he's convinced about Jesus, he's convinced about God, Greek businessman. His name is Philip. Philip was very successful, very affluent, lived in one of the most affluent areas in Israel... And he got a vision that his life had a grander purpose, not just to build business, that was great. But he was wanted to put God on display. He wanted to bring Shalom to chaos. He wanted to help those who are needy. But more than just the what, he had a why. He began to believe that there was a God who saw him orphaned spiritually and came to adopt him. So he wanted to go to the orphan. He began to see a God who was rich in heaven, but saw him poor in poverty spiritually and came and forgave that debt and gave him riches in heaven. And that motivation, what I call the main message of the Bible, the, the, Bible, the, the gospel, so impacted him. He said, I want my entire life to put God on display. So the church has just started. It's around 30, 33 AD, and they've got a problem. It's a problem of administration, it's a problem of leadership, it's a problem with racism. And the disciples are like, what are we going to do? And here's what happens. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So the church is impacting uh, Jewish people and Greek people. So we've got the Hellenists or the Greeks and the, and the Hebrews. So Jewish people are coming to know Jesus, Greek people are coming to know Jesus, and they all say, we've got to be caring for the poor and the needy. So there arose a complaint. Because the widows of the Hellenists were being neglected in the daily distribution of the poor. Therefore, the brethren, the disciples, sought out among them seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over the business. So the disciples said, hey, we're really good at the Bible stuff. We're really good at the prayer stuff. We're not really great leaders. So let's reach into the business community and let's ask business leaders who have great reputations, Have great leadership skills, who have great organizational skills to come in and help fix this. They appoint Stephen, they appoint Philip and many others. And Philip becomes this Greek business owner who comes in in record time, deals with the racial tensions in the community, deals with the inappropriate, who's not getting what they need, assessing needs. And it is so impactful at the end of this verse says, the word of God spread about how they were carrying and overcoming these issues. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests said, wow. I mean, these are priests of, of, of the Jewish religion said, this is real what Jesus is doing. This is real how it's impacting people's lives and changing the world. Now, to give you an idea of how affluent Philip is, the Bible says that he lived in the area called Caesarea. He lived in Caesarea because later on, Paul and his uh, friends will go over and they'll visit him. They'll depart and come to Caesarea and enter the house of Philip, the evangelist, this Greek business owner. Now, up until two weeks ago, Caesarea didn't mean anything to me. But about a week and a half ago, I got a chance to go to Israel and Turkey and I got to go to Caesarea. And suddenly I have an appreciation for just how affluent and influential Philip is. This is actually the seashore. It was built by King Herod, a multi-billionaire in his time. And he wanted this to be the crown jewel of Israel's seaports. He will eventually encase the entire thing in marble. To this day, with inflation, it would be unthinkable how much money it would cost to rebuild this thing. At the time, it was multi-billion. Here's a little bit of what it looked like. Next slide. This is what it looked like in its day. This gigantic gated community made for government officials, made for the Caesar himself. This was the who's who, the seaport of seaport, the affluence of affluent area. And Philip is living right there in the community. Now, if you look at the little um, box I'm going to put around here, you're going to see that there's a port coming out where the B is. And then the H area is like an Olympic running track. But when you see this, you don't have a feel for just how amazing it is and how big it is until you get there. So that area that I've got the box around, we're going to show you a real-time picture of just how big it is. The so next picture. So you can see the Olympic Stadium that he's got right there in the seaport. The government offices down here in the lower section where Paul will eventually stand before Agrippa and Felix in the book of Acts. The gated community goes way off. So this is about 20% of the community that he built. Well, next slide. This area, right there in, in the area where you sit around the Olympics, this is where Beth, my wife Beth and the Red up here on the left, so we're sitting there in that section. This was the who's who of unconvinced people around the world. In fact, Pontius Pilate, many people said, hey, you can't believe the Bible because it mentions people like Pontius Pilate. There's no evidence ever found of Pontius Pilate. Well, until they uncovered Caesarea. In the bottom left-hand corner, you see my wife leaning against a rock that actually says to the pontiff of Judea, Pontius Pilate. This particular piece of architecture or archaeology was found at this location. This is where Pilate came. This is where Caesar came. This is where all of the who's who came, right here in this area. And this is the look out the door of Caesar's personal mansion right there in Caesarea. Again, to get a feel for how big it is, because it's still hard to have a feel for it. Just that little box we're looking at, I took a little video to show you just what that Olympic circle looked like. So let's go ahead and show the video. This is an area where there were games, there was influence, the best educational systems, the best influencers, the best connectors were all happening right here in this area. And Philip, this Greek business owner, was living right in the midst of it. And in a culture that was all about bringing fame to yourself, putting yourself on display putting your own accomplishments on display. This Greek business owner lived in the midst of that. But he said, I'm not here to make the story about me. I'm here to use my influence to make the story about how to help others. And it was so striking. It was so defining that he began to attract people to his beliefs based on the way he lived. So one day God comes to Philip. And he says, I want you to, instead of taking your typical route, I want you to go a different way. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert. And he arose and went. So if he lived up in Caesarea, up in the top left, he hung out in Jerusalem a lot because he's going down there for the festivals. Samaria had all kinds of folks who began to hear about his influence and his leadership lots of people learning about Jesus in Samaria. But God says, I'd like you to go out of your normal routine. I'd like you to head down south and west on a deserted road that nobody really travels to Gaza. Why? Because I want you to impact somebody, invest in somebody who needs your help. I think for many of us, it may not be going to Belize. But there's going to be a time when you decide and I decide to consciously go towards something. Something we would normally do. We, we, we step out and we try CityLink. We take our kids down to City Gospel. We decide, I'm going to step out of my normal routine of going in church and leaving, and I'm going to grab one of these blue bags and fill it with food. I'm going to just say, hey, I'm going to is the big old stack of, of boxes. We're going, to, we're going to have one of those and make several of these for, for families overseas. Hey, I want to go on a Belize trip. I want to know more about that. But, but will you choose to step out of your normal routine and go towards something that seems like it would be a waste of time or, or that you don't have time for it, And when you do that, a spark occurs. Something begins to happen in you. And it's just as important as what's going to happen to them. Because the more it sparks, the more it fires. And the more it fires, the more you change. I had a uh, dinner recently with folks who are new to Horizon. we went around the table and I said, tell me about what what you love about the church or what's impacted you. First person said, when I came in, our kids came out of the children's program and said, we love it here. Can we come back next week? Had. we've never been in a church where our kids wanted to come back. And that has so impacted us that our kids love church that we decide after coming here a year, we were going to help out and volunteer in the children's program because we want to create the same kind of environment that impacted our kids for somebody else's kids. When around the table. Somebody else said, you know what? I hate coming come to church. That was irrelevant. That was a waste of time. I never learned anything. I've been so struck here for the last two years. Every week I come and I learn stuff. I never thought about church as a place you learn stuff. Oh, that makes me so sad. But I know what he's saying. (laughs) I didn't like church. I thought it was boring. I thought it was irrelevant. I thought it was all about yourself. But I love this idea of a church that's giving itself away to other people and influencing people and helping me grow spiritually. So I don't know what your step is. If it's just serving here in our community, here at our church, Is it serving nearby in the city? Is it going far, here, near, or far? But God's going to ask you, nudge you, call you, to go outside of your normal routine, to get near need. That's what he does. He travels this road, and he comes face to face with an Ethiopian CFO. And he's unconvinced about Jesus. He's unconvinced about the gospel, but he's interested in spiritual matters. Here's what happens. Behold, a man of Ethiopia... A eunuch of great authority. So this is a very influential man on this road by himself that day. He was under great authority of Candace the Queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury. So this guy is the CFO of an entire country. You'll find out a little bit later about. He is great authority, influencer of influencers, connector of connectors, and he happens to be going on the road that God calls Philip to walk on, to walk with him on his spiritual journey. One business owner investing in another business owner and saying, let me tell you what God sent in my life. he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So he's already beginning to be interested in spiritual things. And he was returning. He's sitting in his chariot, very affluent guy. He's got his own chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit said to Philip, hey, go near, go talk to that guy, overtake the chariot. So Philip ran up to the chariot, heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, "Well, how can I unless somebody guides me?" And I love that. You know, many of us came into church saying, "Hey, I grew up with religion. I don't even know what it really meant. It was just all sort of mumbo jumbo." I need somebody to help guide me. And you had a friend, you had a neighbor, invited you to church, and you said, I, I, "I'm interested in spiritual things. I want to know what meaning and purpose and a greater vision for my life is, but I need help." So one of the tools we use at our church is called the Continuum. It's a way of sort of seeing where you are in your spiritual journey. And saying, what's my next step? And we have people in our church sitting here today at all steps. And we want you to know the horizon is yours to explore. Wherever you are, we want to help you take the next step. So, for example, some people come in, like my friend the other day who was agnostic or atheist, and said, hey, I have no real awareness of God, but I want to come in and, and ask questions. Some people have an awareness of God, but they're unconvinced about Jesus and the Bible. And we welcome you and your friends here. We want to help you with your hurdles. Some people have a positive attitude toward a messenger or a friend. You say, I still think the Bible's ridiculous. I still think Jesus, he might be all right, but he didn't really come back from the dead. I think most Christians are hypocrites. They're all stuck on themselves. They're all about rules. But I met one good one. I met a friend. And I've got a positive attitude toward that friend. And you start coming here because somebody was living an authentic life. The way they lived in their marriage, their forgiveness, their humility said, "Hey, I want to know more about that." And maybe that's where you're at today. And then they begin to talk to you about the main message of the Bible, and you begin to see the benefits of the message of Jesus. You don't believe it yet, but you can see why somebody might. Then you begin to say later on, "Wow, I'm starting to see that I actually might believe parts of it." And then you want to explore questions and recognize the problem, maybe about needing forgiveness in your own life or needing a greater purpose. And you come to a place like Pam did in getting baptized. You say, "I want to trust Christ as my forgiver and leader." Maybe you've done that and you say, I want to get connected to the church through community and through serving other people. You begin to see your life transformed as God's spirit impacts your behavior. You begin to want to know more about the Bible. You say, hey, my whole life, I want to steward my time, my treasure, my talents. And then I want to multiply. I want to invest in other people wherever they are. That's what we're about as a church. And that's exactly what Philip does with this eunuch. He's exploring questions of faith. And Philip turns him and says, well, what's your question? And here's what happens. He asked Philip to come and sit down with him. The place in the scripture where he read said he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a, a lamb before its sheer is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch turns to Philip and says, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet talk about Is He talking about himself or somebody else. It's all opaque to me as I read the Bible, he's saying. Now, here's what's interesting. If you're a Bible reader, this is Isaiah 53. The same scroll, if you go forward three chapters in Isaiah 56, there's a promise directly to eunuchs right there in Isaiah. It says this. It says, do not say if you are a eunuch, I am a dried up tree with no children therefore i have no future for god says to the eunuchs i will give you a future and i will give you a promise and i will elevate you with something far better than just a family or having children so he's reading the bible going well god's got a promise specifically to me and so he's reading back well how do you get that promise and he stumbles across this verse well in order to get that promise that where your identity and your self-worth isn't based on you know, whether or not you have kids or can't have kids. It comes from whatever this is. This lamb led to slaughter who was dead and then he's back from the life. And then Philip says, I am so glad you asked. Let me tell you what just happened in Jerusalem a few weeks or months ago. And he opens up the Bible and he preaches Jesus to him. So it says, which means proclaims or explains. Next verse. Here's what happens. So Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he started right there at that scripture he was, he preached or proclaimed or explained Jesus to him. Now as they went down to the road, they came to some water. So he literally starts in Isaiah and goes verse by verse and shows how the whole Bible from Genesis to Malachi pointed to this coming Messiah Jesus. He did what we call fast track. It was a summary of how the Bible pointed Jesus. Now, some of you have been through this before, but if you are like the eunuch, you're saying, I don't even understand the main message of the Bible. We created this resource a couple years ago. Uh, We just had it reprinted so it doesn't look like it came off our printer. It's actually really a nice bound book. Um, If you're interested in helping somebody see the main message of the Bible, or you want to go through the message of the Bible, it's on the resource rack out there. You can read from Genesis to Revelation in 90 minutes. You'll you'll be more competent than 99% of people in America after reading 90 minutes. You'll go, oh, that's what it's about. And that's what Philip is doing here. And it's so striking to this eunuch that this other business owner has found this message to be so true. That he says, hey, here's water. I want to be baptized. I want to identify myself with going into the chaos with other people and being forgiven of my my wrongdoing. So Philip said, all right, let's do it. If you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down the water and baptized him. Now, what happens after this? Well, we don't know for sure, but we got some hints from the text. When the CFO of an African queen has this kind of life change, guess what? He goes back to work. When he goes back to work, Candace says, How was your trip? he says, let me tell you how my trip was. I came to find out that there was a promise in the Bible directly from me, and I got to find out the whole Bible intellectually pointed to a historic fact that occurred just a few months ago in Jerusalem. Well, tell me more about that. And that's where we moved from this unconvinced Ethiopian CFO to now this affluent African queen. So affluent African queen, it said that he worked for a woman of great authority, Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over all her treasury. Now, Ethiopia in those days described two areas, one of which was south and south and east of Jerusalem. The other one was actually North Africa, and it was called the Nubid, Nubidian Empire. You see the Nubidia right there. The Candace wasn't even her name. That was her title. Like all the pharaohs of Egypt were called pharaoh. All of the military tacticians and commanders of this empire were called Candace over the years. For about 750 B.C. to now we're at about 30 A.D., the, the Candace's have been in charge. They were so mighty, so powerful, that Alexander the Great couldn't conquer them. You think of everybody Alexander the Great conquered? Now notice, Alexander will eventually divide up his empire, and one of his generals uh, took over this section. Let's try it again. This section right here. So this, this is how far Alexander got. He got stopped right here by the Candace's. The Candace is the very one that that, uh, this eunuch is the uh, CFO for. Well, she has got a long history of military commandership, a long history of giving spiritual freedom to her country. But now she hears about the message of Jesus. We imagine that she was also impacted by the story because what begins to happen in northern Africa over the next century is phenomenal. In his book, The Rise of Christianity... Rodney Stark says in that first century the care and concern given to the poor the freedoms and protections given to the slave the amount of generosity the Roman Empire never gave anything to anybody in their caste system but the Christians both in the Roman Empire and in North Africa, began to live with a life of compassion and service and caring for other people and putting their life on the line, offering health care for those who didn't have it, offering support for those who didn't have it. It began to revolutionize the world. And he said that there was a a revival, he called it, amongst the upper class and the upper middle class that began to take the resources they had, the power they had, and invest it in those less fortunate and that's what created the context for people believing in Christ. What would it look like if you and I began to explore the message of God and just get a little bit more compassionate to say, God, how do you want to use my influence? And I want to deposit some peace, some joy, some generosity in the most difficult of places in my life in the world. Oh, ask Burl Kane. Burl Kane is the warden of Louisiana State Penitentiary. Now, in case you don't know, this was known as the bloodiest, the most destructive, the most violent prison in all of America. So, when he took over as warden, he could have said, Well, let's just keep it in check. Let's just keep it from getting worse. But he said, I'm a follower of Christ. We got a huge problem with violence. We got prisoners. Jesus said we're supposed to visit the prisoners, care for the prisoners. While I contain the violence, I want to try and change their hearts. Man, I would not sign up for this job. But he did. Do you see him on Time Magazine? or you seen him on the news? Here's what he did. He said the first thing we need is incentive. That if, with good behavior, you can get more and more freedoms. Secondly, we need to teach people how to work. We need to offer them uh, opportunities for spiritual education. So over the next couple of years, He put work crews together. As you had good behavior, you could warn more freedom and more and more freedom. The 18,000 acres that are there, he then began to use the workers to build a nine-hole golf course. And as you behaved well and didn't do anything violent, you could work your way up to not only working on it, but actually using it. He planted a church couple people that led Bible studies. This day, there's 400 people that attend a church in the penitentiary every single week. He put a seminary in the middle of the prison so that people could be trained to be pastors. They got trained pastors, associate pastors right there. And now violence is down 85% in the penitentiary and people are going to Bible studies instead of knife fights. And on and on and on, because he said, I feel called to drop in the love of God and the message of Christ in the most dangerous place in the world. And I think, what's my excuse, right? If he could do it there, it could be done anywhere. So what does it look like for you and I to say, hey, I might not be a CFO, but I might be. I might be a business owner, or I might be a homemaker, but each one of us have an area of influence. And God wants to use us to use that area of influence to impact the world. At Horizon, we say, you know, Horizon is a mission, not a church. A church is a place you go and you go, I got what I needed, and then you leave. And then you become crabbed because it's all about you. We're a mission. And that mission is to help people grow spiritually. That mission is to help you realize that life's not about us, it's about others. We want to put God on display. Everyone is welcome at our church, and yet we lean toward the leader because we feel like each one of us has more influence in America than anyone else in the world. And God wants to use you and me to use our networks and our resources to change the world if we'll let him. So what does it look like for you and I to do it? To begin to have that spark and get the pistons running and thinking about it? Let me tell you why you'd want to. Simon Sinek, I think is his name, in his book, Leaders Eat Last, so they did a study of the uh, biochemicals in your body. And when you go and do something good for somebody, serotonin gets released in your brain and you feel good about it. Wow, I'm glad I went to City Gospel Mission. Wow, I'm glad that I, uh, I uh, filled up a, a, a shoebox. Wow, I'm really glad that I'm starting to give a percentage of my income away to something besides upgrading my own life. Serotonin gets released in your brain and other chemicals that make you feel good about yourself. But they also studied and found that when you help somebody... Serotonin gets released in their brain, so you feel good about yourself, and they feel good about themselves, plus you could do a good deed. But then they studied and said, what does it look like in your brain if you watch somebody do something good? Your serotonin goes up as well, so when you do something good, you you get a, a boost, when you have something good done to you, you get a boost, and when you watch somebody do something good, you get a boost. So the biochemicals actually change the world and uplift the world as we begin to to live a more other-centered life. So if nothing else, do something nice so you get a, a shot in the arm. But more than that, you begin to live a grander vision for your life. And that's why our church is so focused on letting you explore at your own pace so that God might do something in you and in me. Because we believe that what happens in you, what happens in you, and in me is just as important as what happens to them it's often that when you begin to work and serve them and you think you're going on a mission trip to serve them but you come back and go wow god did more for me than i did for them Devinder mangett who's been on a trip every year he invites doctors who are unconvinced about the bible unconvinced about jesus he says yeah but wouldn't you love to go and help the the orphans and help people who could never pay you anything Isn't that why we got into doctoring? Because we wanted to help those who couldn't help themselves. And so every year, folks who are unconvinced about the Bible and Jesus go on our trips. They get to see real Christians caring about the poor. They get to see our church investing in other people and say, wow, what makes you guys tick? Tell me about this belief. So how are you going to get your motor running? For many of you you say, hey, I'm not ready to serve yet. I'm still trying to get that spark. let us help, whatever way we can. There's no pressure, but let us help. Maybe it's fast-track Bible, maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's a small group, but we want to help. For others, as we say, you know what, I had a spark years ago, but sort of, the pistons have stopped moving. God, re-spark me. To ask yourself, what does it mean as I leave today, God, to serve here? Boy, I want to be a greeter. I felt warm and welcome because somebody greeted me. I want to be a greeter. It's a real easy step here. Well, I want to serve in the children's ministry the way other people serve my kids. But I want to run. i got technical skills. I want to do some design or some running of cameras and things because I like the idea that things are supported in church. You want to serve here. Maybe you want to leave today and grab a shoebox or grab a blue bag. Maybe you want to say, hey, we got to do that feeding of a, of a thousand meals or... A, 350,000 meals this year that we do Feed My Serving Children. Maybe you want to start here, going down to City Gospel Mission. Or maybe you go out and say, i got to get the Pistons moving. I've done that. What's next? Maybe for you, it's not even a service opportunity. Maybe it's someone. You're like Philip. You're going through business and God says, have you thought about building a relationship with somebody? You've got to step out of your path a little bit. But what if you begin to start a conversation with a friend? That person in the gas station, that person at work. What if you begin to put God on display in your work environment? Not you're being preachy. you're not creating an HR crisis. You're just living your life in such a way that people begin to ask you, what makes you tick? I've never seen such humility or joy or other centeredness. But you step out of your way to say, God, use me. Or maybe as Pam invited you, you want to join us on one of our belief trips. The reason we offer so many opportunities is because there's so many different ways God might want you to see the need in the world. So think about your motors, think about your pistons, what God might have you do, wherever you are, as you hear this song about the needs we have in the world. Let's pray that together. Father, we do ask that you will use us individually. God, that you'll just put a a nudge in our hearts to go a different way, to invest in something that we haven't even thought about or we've passed by. We also pray for us corporately, Father, that we will be a place that encourages and equips and inspires people to live a a beautiful other-centered life. God, we thank you that uh, as we uh, give of ourselves, you give back. We thank you as a church that you've entrusted us with resources so that we can uh, invest in the hurting in the world. And we thank you for each person who gives financially to our church because when they give, we're able to reinvest that in the broken and the hurting. But, God, more than that, we ask that you will inspire us to think well beyond that, to what it would look like for our whole life to be leveraged to put you on display, not to put ourselves on display. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today for our series, Motor. If you are, motor, Modor, Modor, right? That was what Doug called it a couple weeks ago. Uh, as you head out today, uh, we'd love to greet you. Third door on your left is the hearth room. If you get, do did come, prepared to give. There's some offering boxes in the way out. So thanks again. We'll see you next week.